What number is this, Chip? Zilch 136, head Q&A, live in Hollywood with Mike and Mickey. And Monkey News, and more. There you go. Wait, wrong wrong show. Close enough. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I know. Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkey's podcast. Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys, and I'm one of your hosts here today, Ken Mills, and I'm joined by the powerful Tim Powers. Hi, folks. Good to be back, Ken. Always, I love what you've done with the place. Yeah, it's, it, we are always improving, right? Is that a Ferris wheel? Yes, it is. Wow. Not everyone picks right up on that, but yeah. You know, powerful Tim Powers probably would have been your Marvel bullpen name back in the 60s, right? I'm certain. Yeah. I'm certain. If not Tim, radioactive powers. Yeah. If I had, uh, if I had been around the bullpen at that right. time, right? It's better than Tim Ponder's powers. That would be. That <laughs> would not be good. Less dynamic, but more accurate. Mm-hmm. Today on the show, we have not one but two monkeys on today. Right? The voices of Mike and Mickey will be here. But first, a tiny bit of monkey news, then we'll have a bunch of monkey news on the end of this. Okay, Tim. Fine with me. All right. I love monkey news. Just because it's head-centric. We want to put this out there for everybody, but Rhino Records is issuing the head soundtrack on silver vinyl, and that's coming out on July 23rd. So if you've ever wanted to have a silver version of head, your dreams are coming true, right, Tim? Absolutely, Ken, and I'll tell you, Zilch has always been good supporting your local brick-and-mortar record store, so if you're lucky enough to live in a town where you can go in and purchase your records the old-fashioned way from a real, live, condescending person behind a counter who judges you by your music purchase, I encourage you to give those folks a call and say, hey, on July 23rd, uh, Rhino is publishing this record. It's coming out that day, and I'd like to pick it up in your shop. It costs you no extra money. Um, from ordering it online and uh, and the money stays in your community so uh so if you have that opportunity we encourage you to pick it up at your local brick and mortar record store and you might make a friend or two we can only hope right i met a ton of people through going to record stores back in the day i've met a ton of uh of monkeys fans actually there used to be a, a record store called cookie jar records in the city where i grew up and i remember buying the the head soundtrack in 80 five or six when uh, when rhino re-released it for the first time on vinyl and uh the guy at the counter was like have you ever heard this record i said actually no i haven't he's like oh my god it's fantastic and he he said do you mind if i open it and we opened it up and played it right there in the store for a while wow so order head the soundtrack on silver vinyl on july 23rd reserve your copy now today on the show we're discussing head Something that we, as Monkeys fans, you know, this the, the, the legend of Head keeps growing. 
<laughs> Who doesn't love a growing head? Exactly. Yes. And seriously, for something that that's been written off so many times, not only the movie head, but the monkeys themselves, they keep bubbling back up in pop culture. And it seems like head is more loved now than it's ever been. And what do you account for that? I think it's the uh, the ease of access to information. You know, I remember being a, a young monkeys fan uh, during. Uh, during the second wave in the 80s. And the first time I had ever heard about Head at all, um, I think was on the, the Lori House um, uh, Greatest Hits collection mm-hmm. where, where Porpoise Song was the first track on one of the sides and it said, theme to the motion picture Head. And I went, what what is this? And then uh, I got Eric Lefkowitz's book and it had a whole chapter about Eric Lefkowitz's uh, The Monkey's Tale mm-hmm. available wherever fine books are sold. And it had a chapter about Head and uh, I remember getting a copy that someone had recorded off of Cinemax maybe five or six years earlier. And it was, you know, there was no way to alert yourself to what was on television at the time, and that certainly wasn't being screened anywhere. Now, I mean, I've lived in Los Angeles 15 years, I've probably seen Head on the big screen maybe six times. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, people are finding out about it. It's uh, there's there's an uh, an access of information that we haven't had before. People are, are writing about the things that they love, and a lot of people love this movie. I'm one of them. I don't know if this is a true fact, but I'm going to put it out there as a true fact. Nesta, I'm just going to proclaim it. I bet that Head has been shown more in the theaters now since 2010 than it probably did during its first run. <laughs> That's probably true. I was uh, far too young to be paying attention to what uh, what what movies were playing when Head was was making the rounds in the theater. But by all uh, by all reports, it wasn't out very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, came and went later that day. So there we go. That's the old joke. Back on November first, two thousand eighteen, Andrew Sandoval put together the swing event with Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolans of the Monkees. They did a Q&A session after showing the movie, right? They absolutely did, and uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention what a great job the good folks at the Egyptian Theater, the American Cinematheque at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, uh, did. The Egyptian Theater, if you didn't know, was one of uh, one of the theaters built by the legendary Sid Grauman, who also built the, the famous Chinese theater uh, down the street with all the handprints and footprints uh, in the in the foreyard, mm-hmm. and the the Egyptian theater has, of course, an Egyptian motif rather than a uh, a, a a Chinese motif. But it is an elegant place to see uh, a movie. And the American Cinematheque is a non for profit group that uh, that screens creator owned uh, films or uh, or art movies or. Uh, I've seen everything from the 1966 Batman movie, where I met Lee Merriweather, by the way, all the way to 1933's King Kong to uh, Laurel and Hardy festivals. It's a fantastic place. And if you're ever in Los Angeles and you're standing in the courtyard of the Egyptian theater and you do a complete 180 and look across the street, you'll see the Vogue Theater where Head was debuted. Yeah. And that's where the star is, as a matter of fact. The monkey star is, is maybe half a block or two uh, on either side of the of the Vogue Theater. Very good. And it was a star-studded night for Monkeys fans, right? There was, I mean, it was pretty much, it was filled up with zilch heads and tons of people from the monkey world. Henry Diltz was there. 
Henry Diltz was there. Uh, Gary Strobel was there. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, the American Cinematheque folks held a seat for me up front, and and Henry came in and sat right next to me. Uh, I was literally an arm's distance away from Mike and Mickey and and Andrew during this, but. I have to tell you, there were some other folks in the audience as well. Victor Mature's daughter, Victoria, was in the audience. And, uh, and she said uh, she met Nez, I think, for the first time, and they referenced that. And the, the American Cinematheque folks were kind enough to allow us to record the Q&A. And, uh, and we really appreciate that. So thank you very much, American Cinematheque folks. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a video you can see of this, but thanks to the fine folks at American Cinematheque and Andrew Sandoval, we got permission to air this. And we want to thank Andrew Sandoval and American Cinematheque as well. Thank you very much. So without further ado, let's uh, get our popcorn, sit back, and listen to Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolans of The Monkees with their Q&A for the 50th anniversary screening of Head. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the historic Egyptian Theater in Hollywood for tonight's 50th anniversary presentation of Head. We've got monkeys Mickey Dolans and Mike Nesmith here for a Q&A after the film. Stick around for that. For those of you who are new to us, the American Cinematheque is a nonprofit, member-supported film exhibitor showing classic and contemporary films from all around the world, both here and at our sister theater, the Aero in Santa Monica. If you like what you see on our screens, please consider supporting us by becoming a Cinematheque member. Benefits include discounted tickets, invitations to free members-only screenings, preferred access to hot events such as tonight's, and many other great perks. Anyone on our staff will be happy to give you more details. We've got some great things coming up in November. Uh, next Wednesday, we've got the Carol Reed Orson Welles classic, The Third Man, on 35mm here, with an introductory podcast from host Greg Proops. We've also got a number of best foreign language Oscar submissions screening this month at both theaters, uh, including such films as Cold War, uh, The Eighth Commissioner, and I Am Not a Witch. Uh, we've also got a couple of English language Oscar hopefuls, Beautiful Boy and Leave No Trace, all of these films will have directors in, ten, in attendance. Um, a lot of other great things on our website, so do check that out. We hope to see you again soon. But now to get tonight's show underway, I'd like to introduce our host for the evening. He's someone I was privileged to work with at Rhino Entertainment a few years ago. Uh, among other things, he's an author, a musician, a promoter, and a producer of archival reissues for such bands as the Bee Gees and the Kinks, as well as tonight's heroes, the Monkees, Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Andrew Sandoval. Thank you very much, John. And thank you very much to John also for organizing this evening and being a wonderful host to us here at the Cinematheque. This is the second time that we've done a big anniversary screening. We were here 10 years ago with uh, Davy Jones and Peter Tork for a screening. And uh, were any of you here 10 years ago? 
All right. And have any of you seen this movie before? Are there any people seeing the movie here for the first time? Wow. Okay. Well, we'll see how many of you are here when we get back. I, uh, before I bring out uh, Michael and Mickey, I want to make some acknowledgments. Uh, we have some wonderful guests in the audience. We have uh, David Jones's daughter, Annabelle, is here joining us. And um, he sat right in that same seat, Annabelle, when I sat next to him 10 years ago. So it's, it's lovely. And, and specifically, the funnest part of that was watching him watch himself uh, in Daddy's Song, which we'll all see, which is a big highlight of the movie. We also have the daughter of Victor Mature, Victoria Mature is here. The big Victor in head. And I haven't spotted her yet, but is Tony Basil here? Maybe? Okay, well, she was certainly invited, and she choreographed the Daddy Song sequence, which you'll see. Uh, what about Rodney Bingenheimer? Is he here? Yes? Rodney, of course, was a stand-in on the Monkees television series and has been a longtime supporter, friend to them, and uh, a wonderful guy. Uh, also, we have another Davy Jones stand-in, I believe. Is David Price here? Did David Price make it out? Well, David Price, again, was another person who worked on the television series and was invited. And uh, what about Marilyn Schlossberg? Possibly? Maybe. Anyway, she was an assistant to Burton Bob. We have acknowledged her, and we thank her for all the years she put in on the television show. Now, without further ado, I'd also like to th uh, say thanks to Gary Strobel, who invited all of the wonderful guests that we have, uh, and has worked for years and years and years to keep the monkeys going beyond all reason, really, if you think about it. But now, without further ado, I'd like to bring out Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolans, the stars of Head. Hey, 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 test, test. Wow, thank you. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, what a pleasure seeing all of you here tonight. Uh, Who are all you people? <laughs> Am I in the right place? <laughs> I think we're supposed to be down at the Hollywood Wax Museum <laughs> getting our, uh, our, our things done like that. Yeah, thank you so much. What a thrill. Um, I, I couldn't tell. How many people have seen the movie? How many people have not? Okay. For those of you that have seen the movie, who's someone right here? You seen it? Can you tell me what it's about? No, I can't either. Well, maybe we'll all learn something together tonight. We'll be seeing you after for the uh, for the Q and A. Yes. 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 No, no, I'm good. I'm You're just good? having a good time listening Have to you. Have fun. Enjoy the movie, folks. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hereby dedicate this magnificent marvel of modern architecture that we're in, one of the largest screenings of head in the world, to the people of the great city of Los Angeles. And now, the monkeys present head.
All that in a G rating. How about that? How did everybody like Head? So, I guess you guys wouldn't have any questions about that, right? I mean, it was very straightforward. Was anybody here to see Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie recently? Because that made total sense too, right? Uh, well, Mickey and Michael are just finishing their dinner, and they're going to be over here in a moment. In the meantime, I can answer some questions or talk to you a bit about this uh, movie. I did make some notes for you. I had a book out in 2005 called The Monkey's Day-by-Day -Day Story of the TV pop sensation. and uh, One of my great fascinations has been this movie, Head, and I worked on the restoration of this print that you saw tonight, and also the one for uh, the Criterion Collection, and then in the more recent uh, Monkey's Blu-ray box, which was basically a clone of the Criterion Collection. So a little bit about the movie, I will tell you that almost every outtake from this movie exists, but is been de decomposing for the last 50 years, and when I visited all of the materials that Sony Pictures had for this movie 10 years ago, they said, well, Andrew, the good news is that we have so many cartons of this material, it's incredible. We didn't even know we had all this stuff. But the bad news is you're only going to want to spend about 10 or 15 minutes at any given time with this material in a room. We have it in a safe room at a laboratory. And I said, what are you talking about? This, this is one of my favorite movies. I would love to spend as much time with the outtake footage as I could to find the stuff so everybody could see the missing parts of this movie, which would obviously make it make sense, right? <laughs> so what I didn't know was that the film was decomposing and had such severe vinegar syndrome that, especially with so many cartons of it, that it was noxious to be around. So after about 10 or 15 minutes, I did have to leave the room several times, and I did have tears in my eyes, not because I was overwhelmed by emotion of uh, finally seeing all this lost footage, but I will tell you that the most interesting things, which uh, we'll get into with Michael and Mickey, who I did ask about this, and they did have no recollection of it, was that when Michael goes to straighten his tie in the mirror, and then all of the TV screens pop up, there's a gigantic cut of the movie. They lifted a big sequence out of it, in which all four of the monkeys went up to the mirror and they all spoke to the mirror and they also saw themselves in their alter egos. Uh, Mickey as Pan with furry pants and no shirt and a little zither and Michael as a Marlboro man and uh, Peter as Pagliacci and Davy as an Errol Flynn type. And they had this entire sequence edited together and Rafelson decided at some point to take the entire thing out of the movie. Now, immediately when I saw this thing, I said, oh my God, the whole thing is put together. I mean, this is going to be incredible. And they said, it is so in such bad shape. It's shrunken down beyond the point where you can actually even put it through a projector. It actually probably needs to be scanned in frame by frame. And at that point, Bob Rafelson said, this stuff is just too silly. We, I don't want any part of this. It's pull the plug. So all that footage, gone. And the sec second big part of the movie that's missing is at the very end, you see them escape from the boxes. And they have various ways of getting out of the boxes, each of them individual. Uh, he, Michael Nesmith is portrayed as a con man. He cons his way out of the box. He sees a odd job Harold Sakata type character and says, hey, you've got great big muscles. And let me, let me uh, hey, look at those. And then they, he talks his way out of the box, all these things. Rafelson at some point also said, you know, 
I don't think people need to see that. We'll just pull all that out of the movie too. So I think what he was basically doing was kind of playing a big game of Jenga with the movie. Like, how many things can I pull out of this movie and then still have it kind of make sense or have pe nobody sort of be that distracted by it? But the, uh, the movie itself was shot in um, 1968, the same year that we're celebrating. And principal photography began on February 16th, 1968 with the scenes with them kissing uh, Mimi Michu, who was Jack Nicholson's girlfriend at the time, who wrote to us and wanted to be here tonight, but couldn't make it. She's living in Oregon now, but sends her regards to everybody. And the final scene shot were in Salt Lake City. And uh, so you saw a lot of the stills that Henry Diltz had of that, which was all the scenes for Circle Sky. So between those months, they shot the movie around Los Angeles. And also they went to the Bahamas and shot uh, Paradise Island, the underwater sequences with the mermaids, with the uh, all the paint on their face, could have been in a swimming pool here in Los Angeles, but they went to the Bahamas to do that. So now, do we have, yes? I would like to bring up the stars of Head once again, Mr. Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolenz. And Henry Diltz is here, too, who took all the great photos that we saw in the slideshow. Hey, Henry. Anywhere you want to be. Everywhere's where, everybody's where they want to be. Hiya, Andrew. Hey, Ness. Sorry we're late. I, I uh, thought it ran a uh, 190. Didn't? <laughs> we were all Hello, taking everybody. bets. We were all taking bets. <clears throat> I'm so glad none of you left. Or at least not many. Well, I'm going to pose questions to the two of you, but sort of individually as well, so that uh, you can both chime in. But the genesis of this movie actually began when the Monkey series was launched in the trade papers like Variety. There were reports that there will be a monkey's feature even before the television series had hit. So it's, uh, I, I wondered, Michael, if you had, what was your first indication that you were going to make a feature film as uh, the monkeys? No, that's way too lost. Way too lost. Okay. What about you, Mickey? Do you remember um, who you were texting at the time that the, the film was mentioned to you or... If they used emojis, or it really, if 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 uh, if that was that technology in place at that time, or uh, how did it start? The whole yeah, yeah. Um, my recollection was the show was uh, being canceled, and uh, uh, I remember Bob Rafelson coming up to me and said, "We want to do a movie." And do you want it, uh, what do we want to do? And uh, I'm just, I can only speak for myself, by the way, it's important that uh, 
uh, there's no monkey group uh, opinion about all this. It was um, individuals. And I said, uh, oh, cool. Um, and I remember somebody, Bob or whoever, saying, you know, we, we don't necessarily want it to be a 90-minute ex uh, episode where Davy falls in love with, uh, you know, somebody and we get him out of trouble. And uh, I was like, cool, yeah, that's, that's a good <laughs> idea. And we can also address issues and things that we were not allowed to do on the television show because of the network uh, censors uh, and control. So we can talk about things and do, do things and that we might not have been able to do on the series. I personally remember vaguely, and it is very vaguely, uh, yeah, that was cool, man. Let's, you know. The next thing I remember is uh, Bob introducing us to a, a gentleman named Jack Nicholson, who was a, um, uh, from what I gather, a B-movie actor at the time, doing, uh, you know, Roger Corman. He ran with that crowd, you know, the Harry Dean Stanton and a whole bunch of those guys, all Ed, Ed Ruscha and the guys up and down the canyons. Yep. And he was, uh, I don't know what this thing is. It, it happens in Hollywood. There's a, there's this whole grade, let's call it grade B level actor who play in low budget movies, take a very little salary, and uh, they um, just go on to the next one, unheralded. And slowly, if you're in the community, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, I don't know how to explain it other than this. Slowly, those people who have turned in good work begin to get recognized by their peers. Get some traction. They do, they get some yeah. traction. And they get invited to dinner, and they're, and they're pleasant to be with, and they're successful in their own right. Harry Dean Stanton was one of those guys, yep. and Nicholson was the king of those guys. Yeah, he was, you know, he first of all he's hilarious. I love hanging out with the guy, and second of all he's wicked smart, which also is fun to hang out with. And then he was he was the lord of this third ring, this other tier, the independent yeah. guys who did not exist in the Hollywood major studio system. Right. If you were not at MGM, Columbia, uh, Universe, you didn't make your deal there. Uh, you didn't have a deal. Uh, there were very few breakthroughs. Uh, Billy Jack is an example who, I'm, I don't what know. What was his name? Billy Jack was. No, the actor uh, who? He was an actor and a producer, director. But I and have, he I, still, I still haven't heard the name. What was Billy Jack. Tom. <laughs> Tom. You guys don't know. Billy Jack? You're just yelling stuff at me to Who knows me. Billy Jack? A lot Not of many, people. See? Very unusual. Very interesting because Billy Jack pre-Rafelson, Nicholson, uh, all these people, uh, pre-them, was trying to break through to the uh, uh, film industry without going through the major film 
distributing companies. Because not only did MGM make the films, they owned the studios. This was the major film industry. And if you weren't part of that, you really had a tough time. Uh, unless you got some breakthrough like Dr. No from Rank Films or, or uh, you know, very, very seldom could you get a film distributed. You could get it made with your own money and your angels and your investors, but you could not get it shown because the studios control that. So along comes these young bucks, uh, Frank, uh, uh, sorry, Jack Nicholson, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, uh, Martin Scorsese. I did an interview for a book called uh, Easy Rider, Raging Bull. Right. Uh, about this, and it was about the fact that these young bucks came up and they were trying to push against, bump against, this major film studio industry. And if you weren't part of it, it was really, really tough. Well, Bert Schneider, the exec on The Monkees, was packing serious heat because his father owned Columbia Pictures. So, so that helped. Right, right. <laughs> eventually, <clears throat> eventually, that really, really helped. Yeah, Bert, so, now, Bert Schneider, of course, was the co-creator with Bob Rafelson, who was the director of this movie, of the Monkey series. He was able to green light the Monkey's television series even after it tested badly because his father had the juice on that. And he was able to give the monkeys their freedom to make their own records because his father had the juice on that. So he was pushing down the door from the inside, and his friends were Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda. And, and you got to give credit to people like Jackie Cooper, who was running Screen Gems uh, uh, Television at the time, and they all <clears throat> they all must have like got you know a little. I... They must have thought <laughs> you know hey maybe this could go. <clears throat> but it was only a, a, a pilot. We didn't necessarily would have even got the pilot. I was up for three other pilots that year about music, uh, music shows. It was in the air. I was up for like 34 of them. <laughs> you were up for how many? 34. And they all failed? <laughs> Did they all fail? They all failed. Well, I don't know what you call it, failing exactly. Nobody ever saw it. <laughs> I never got any money well, for it. Is that a failure? I, <laughs> I was up for three as an official. My agent called and said, go to an audition. One was like a Beach Boy uh, uh, surfing show. I don't remember the name. Why did, you point, why did you point to them? Well, I was just, my agent said, you know, there's a new series. Do you surf? No. <laughs> Come on, everybody no, surfs. But you don't. Ha I didn't have to surf. I felt like somebody's stuntman would right. surf for me. I'm sorry. Are you back to you? I just confused me. No, that is that was what was called the pilot season uh, in television, and um, it, that happened every spring. And there was a surfing show that I went up for. There was a Peter Paul and Mary kind of folk folk right uh, the ha the happeners thing, the happeners that did go to pilot right but did not sell and there was another one like this big christy minstrel randy sparks 
mighty wind. <laughs> that was actually Naz at the Troubadour with the survivors, I think. That was you, right? That wasn't a TV show. It was? Well, let's flash forward to the genesis of Head, which a year after you guys get cast in this pilot, which happens in November of 65, a year later, you're so successful that not only are you, Mickey, directing episodes and you, Michael, producing records that are million, multi-million sellers, but you get invited to go try and craft this major motion picture in Ojai. Nez, what do you remember about going to Ojai to do these writing sessions for Head? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, we, 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 we stayed pretty stacked up that whole weekend. It was <laughs> it, it just, but but it made for good conversation. Oh yeah, I and got, we told each other. I got footage of this all, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. And but but it, you know, we exchanged stories. Yeah. And, and this is and now wait, I, this is gonna this is gonna sound creepy, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. But movies movies are about telling stories, and that's what we were doing. Now stop it. <laughs> I know how dumb that sounds, but it is. it was a moment for me where I realized, okay, this thing is going to turn into some kind of a story. That's all, that's all I had. Well, what I want to know is from that weekend, can you remember anything? Well, I mean, can you remember anything? But no, can you remember anything that might have ended up on the screen? I think, I think in your book you talk a bit about about one of the jokes that might... Uh, this book oh, is that my book at this, there? Which is available outside, uh, <laughs> by the way. But didn't you come up with the... Psst. Yes. Well, I asked Bob, what do you want us to do while we're up here? He said, we'll just riff. We'll just tell each other stories and everything. And, and Nicholson was the king of riffing. Right. I, mean, I mean, if he hit you in your funny bone with one of his major riffs... You were laughing for days, and it, you know, wake up in the middle of the night laughing. And he was, uh, he was sort of the ringleader of it because he kept us all really high, and kept me laughing like crazy. I mean, I breathlessly laughing. Right. So it was, it was more. We exchanged these stories, and Bob said, "Well, just tell a joke." I said, "I don't know any jokes." He said, "Oh, sure you do. What about that joke you told me about the uh, uh, Arab that was waiting on a camel?" in the back of an alley for somebody that he was going to... And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, yeah, you know, he goes, a, a guy comes up and he says, psst. And then he moves real close to him and the guy goes, psst. And, and Rafelson lost it. <laughs> he started laughing like I would at Jack's jokes. <laughs> and I said, well, if it's that funny, then put it in. So, so Mickey, did you have any similar things? Were any ideas that you had in that Ojai weekend, the brainstorming weekend that ended up on the, the screen? Well, for me, it started before Ojai. Jack came over to the house a number of times. Right. And hang out. Just sat by the pool. We, you know, kind of talked and, 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 and maybe smoked a little. Right. Some, and I... In retrospect, I realized what he was doing was he was getting an insight to each of our personalities, our intimate lifestyle, our personal, our thoughts. And 
I guess that's what he and Bob had decided to do, to really find Well, and to this day, I have wondered, what on earth did they want to do that for? <laughs> well, because, because I think, in, in, in my retrospect, I think they wanted to uh, create a story about the monkeys and us and the deconstruction of it. And to me, skipping ahead maybe light years, to me, the movie Head uh, is about the deconstruction of not the, just the monkeys, but the deconstruction of the Hollywood major studio system. There's one scene in the movie, uh, Mike and I uh, starred in it, and it was uh, the Calvary scene. Uh, we're being shot by Indians and a covered wagon. Terry Gar, her first, I believe her first uh, f f film, uh, is hit with an arrow and she's dying. And Mike and I are cavalry officers and we're like being shot at him. And we're like, oh, what are we gonna do? And Terry Gar is like, suck the blood from my thumb or something, I don't remember. And uh, it was quick. at the end of that. It was quick. Suck it before it reaches my heart. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Quick. Suck it before it reaches my heart. <laughs> and I stand up <clears throat> in the Anybody? middle of this scene with a great set and a backdrop of the Rocky Mountains or something. And I stand up and I finally go. Bob, Bob Rafelson, the director, uh, broke the third wall, and I say, a uh, fourth wall, and I break the fourth wall, and I go, Bob, I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. These fake arrows, and I get hit with like four fake arrows, and I break them off, and I'm going, this is, I can't take this anymore. This is bullshit, crap. I don't use those words, but that was the intent and I turn around, and you just saw it. I walk through the back of the set, and I go through the backdrop, the scrim, they call them, of the painting of the Wild West. And I break through, and I'm like, I'm done. This is crap. I'm finished. That, to me, is the essence, the spine, the theme of what they were speaking to the intent, breaking down the old traditional Hollywood uh, paradigm. Right. And they were saying, we are, this is not working for us anymore. We're going to fuck the, uh, sorry. They probably did say that, but yeah. Did I? <laughs> fuck the fake stuff, the old Hollywood that had to do with having Victor Mature there, who was a wonderful actor, who, by the way. And I think he got it. I know he got it, because I talked to him on the set. He had done a movie with my father many, many years ago. He got it. He got it. This is breaking down this old Hollywood school, uh, Hollywood school system. And this book, Easy Rider, Raging Bull, is all about this, where Bob, Burt, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Martin Scorsese had broken down this old school 
Hollywood system, and they essentially, with Easy Rider mainly, created the Hollywood independent film industry. Right, what, which is known as the new Hollywood. And Head is really the first salvo in that battle for the screen. Now, Nez, I believe that you were responsible for getting Victor Mature actually in the movie, whereas Jack and Bob and Bert maybe thought about it in a moment. You actually made it happen. Yeah, those guys were Twinkies when it came to this stuff. <laughs> well, I, I just met um, Victoria. Is your last name Mature as well? I, did, I failed to ask. Oh, so Victoria Mature, we met, we talked for a little bit. I told her this story. It's in, the, it's in my latest book. What's Infinite, that called? Infinite Tuesday. Out now on paperback. Sale? The best-selling paperback. Available on Amazon? Yes, and, and all fine merch sellers outside. Okay, enough riff. So I'll set the scene. We're in Bob's office. Bob, I'm sorry, Bert's office. Bert had a corner desk, feet always up. The office is luxurious in a kind of, I guess, shabby chic way because they in invented shabby chic before there was shabby chic. I think they were shabby before they were chic. But they were, they had something to do with it. And his office was like that. Real comfortable pillows all over the place. And Bob was in there. They both had their feet on the desk. and were both smoking a joint. And they were talking about the fact that they thought the movie had a shot at being something really good. And they wanted to make sure that they made the movie very well. So they were hunting around for these actors that would bring something to the film. And they said, and we found our guy. Victor Mature. And I said, who? And he said, well, they said, well, he's a, he's, a, he's a fine actor. He's been in some great movies, and he's not working right now, and he might be receptive to this. And um, we're, we'll find out. You know, we'll tell him what we're doing, we'll tell him what we intend to do, and see if he has any interest in it. And I said, well, when are you going to do this? They said, well, we'll give him a call. And I said, well, when are you going to give him a call? And they said, well, maybe tomorrow or the next day. Why are you waiting? Why don't you call him now? And, the, and, and I thought, well, maybe they don't have their number. He said, you got his number? And they said, yeah, we got his number. Bert gets, gives it to me out of his pocket. And uh, I said, well, why don't, why don't we just call him up right now? And Rafelson says, <laughs> as a serious alpha male move, he says, oh, really? Well, why don't you call him, Ness? And thrust the number into my chest. So I grabbed it, and I thought, well, what the hell? So I dialed the number on Bert's phone, and Bob and Bert are looking at each other with a smirk. They called, Bob called me Nishwash out of the, out of the show. <laughs> and he said, uh, and, and the, phone, the phone rings, I'm on it, and, uh, and Victor Mature answers the phone and I recognize his voice how I don't know but I recognize his voice hello and I said uh, mr. mature he said yes I said my name is Mike Nesmith and I'm in a television show about a rock and roll band and we've uh, been on the air for a season now we're just gonna come to a close of a season and we're gonna take our hiatus to do a movie and it, we would really love it if you could find your way 
to come down and play a part in it. He said, well, what kind of part is it? And I said, well, I don't know. You should probably talk to the producers. <laughs> so by this time, Bob has been looking over at Bert and going, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit, man. He's not on the phone. He's, got, he's talking to an empty line. Come on, Nishwash, you're fucking with this man. I know nobody's over there. And I said, Shush, shut up, Bob, don't do that. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Mr. Mature. <laughs> and then finally, I just handed it to Bert, handed the phone to Bert. I see he's all yours, partner. Go do what you can. And they, and they worked out the deal. And next thing you know, Mature's on the set driving a little car around. Just the magic of movies. <laughs> the big Great picture. story. He got it. Now, yeah, the, the movie itself exhibits a lot of hostility towards the two of you guys and the monkeys in general. How the audience perceives you, they're going to come on stage and rip you apart in your plastic mannequins and, and you, everybody's going to flee a diner just because you go sit down to have a meal. That just happened to us just now. Um, did, were there any things that you were asked to do in the movie, Mickey, that you felt were sort of difficult or or tense? I mean, not beyond your capabilities, but but just like, why are they asking me to do this? I don't remember anything. Um, I loved the I loved the movie. I, I still do. I, I I'm not sure what it's all about necessarily, except for this deconstruction of. Uh, Metaphorically, the deconstruction of the Hollywood studio system through, through the monkeys, uh, right. which I do think, I hope, I think was part of their intent. If not, it became the intent. And sometimes that happens. You know, you do make a movie with one uh, idea in mind, with one intent in mind. And it comes out very, very different. And a, a great example is the musical Mamma Mia!, the original con the, uh, construction, the original idea, was it was going to be incredibly dramatic, you know, Shakespearean in, in right. its drama. They, they, you know, it's about a little girl trying to find her father, which was probably Aristophanes or something. But somebody along the line, when people started laughing during the production and the, the previews, right. somebody wisely said, okay, let's... <laughs> Let's go for the comedy relief, which they did. And I think that might be a little bit of what happened with the movie Head. I don't know exactly what Bob and Bert had in mind, except I do think it had to do with the deconstruction of the Hollywood sure. film and the monkeys used as metaphor. They did that also in 33 and a Third Revolution's right. A which, Monkey. But which post was post the uh, the project right after Head, which Bert and Bob actually were not really involved with. No. But the, the thing I was going to ask you about, in, in, sort of to highlight this, about 10 years ago, Nez, you and I, when we were doing the Criterion Collection, we talked about the scene with the execution of the Vietnamese man in the street and how it was multiplexed in your song, Circle Sky, and the feelings that you had about it, the how you were kind of reviled by it initially and, and how you asked uh, Bert and Bob what their intent was. Do you, do you, do you want to talk about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't unpack it too far because it's, 
it's obscure to me a little bit. But when I was in the first screening that I saw, they had full screen the, 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 the uh, I, I want to introduce too, Stark an image into your thing. They just but, saw it. But uh, oh, you did. The guy. Well, no, you no, no, no. You didn't see it because it didn't ever make it in the movie. The um, uh, it was a full screen and of the guy assassinating the uh, the whatever he was a crook or whatever in in the Vietnam War, and it so uh, jarred me that I couldn't watch the rest of the movie. I did. It wouldn't cohere. I mean, it doesn't cohere. So it really wouldn't cohere, and I, I just had a hard time, you know, walking up the endless stairways that went nowhere, and finally just abandoned. I went to Bert, and I said, Bert, that assassination scene, you know, we're watching a live murder on that screen that's the size of a screen, and I don't, you think this is a good idea? And apparently I was one of a few dozen people that said that to him. And so he backed away, and he said, well, all right, we'll, we'll come up with something. I said, I think the only thing you can do is take it out. It, it you know, just sends a downer into the whole film. And Bert was, no, it's, it's anti-war, and it'll have a big effect on the war, and, we'll, and it'll help us pull out of Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he may have been right. I don't know one way or the other. Bert, uh, God love him, God rest his soul, uh, obviously is maybe many of you know or not. Bert was very, very politically uh, motivated and very, uh, I can say it, very, very left-wing motivated, very against the war, uh, as many were. And in the movie Head, I remember being actually approached and said, you know, we can do something here that means something that is beyond a monkey episode where Davy falls in love and we get him out of trouble. And the NBC censors, uh, uh, standards and practices, we couldn't say or do anything. There's a very famous uh, story about an episode called The Devil and Peter Tork. Any that actually that? happened. That was essentially Faust. Peter had sold his soul to the devil to be able to play the harp. Wonderful idea, great episode. Total Faust ripoff, <laughs> or damn Yankees, or whatever. And uh, there was a scene in the script, which I think I had the line, uh, Peter, you can't sell your soul to the devil because if you die, you'll go to hell. That was the line. <laughs> and uh, NBC standards and practices came back and said, you can't say that. What do you mean? You can't say the word hell on 730 network television. And Bob, if I'm not mistaken, I heard he went to New York. I mean, he fought. He went and said, this is Faust. <laughs> right. Classic, you know, literature. And they said, no, I'm sorry, you... You can't use that word hell on, on television. And so if I'm not mistaken, uh, during the episode now, and I think it's me that says, Peter, you can't sell your soul to the devil because you won't be able, to, you'll, you'll go to this place where we can't say on network television. <laughs> 
We were under the gun. I mean, the uh, network television in those years, you couldn't say or do much of anything. Uh, and when Head came along, the movie, uh, I remember Bob and Bert saying, you know, now we can talk about some things that we were not able to talk about. And The Monkey was, was never about massive revolution and, and you know, coming up with all this, you know, uh, uh, political or, or social upheaval. That's not what it was about, ever was, and probably should never be. It's, that's not what it was. Right. It's the Marx Brothers, you know. So. There's, a, there's uh, a lot of darkness and light in the movie. You really see that with a lot of light, lighthearted moments and very dark moments. And certainly, Bert and Bob were both provocateurs. Bert later went on and did a fascinating documentary about Vietnam called Hearts and Minds. Yep. The last time I spoke to Bert Schneider was 10 years ago. He was going to come here to see Head with everybody, but he said, I've got a screening of Hearts and Minds. And I think really politically, that's where his yeah. his heart really was. No now, kidding. He, it, won, <clears throat> he won the Academy Award for that. He did, and he sent somebody in his place. Uh, not... he. he uh, so everybody, take a look at that if you can, and maybe get some more insight into Bert and uh, what he was doing. You shot around Los Angeles primarily for this movie, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You shot the war sequences in Bronson Canyon. Uh, do you remember in Bronson Canyon you shot the war sequences, and then every movie was shot in Bronson Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the I just saw a Circus Boy episode. Shot in Bronson Canyon. The uh, obviously the opening and closing of the movies at the Vincent Thomas Bridge in San Pedro that you run down, and then uh, also the scenes in the factory are at the Hyperion Sewage Treatment Plant in Playa del Rey. Which, fun fact, if you go online, you can take a tour of the sewage factory. They are quite welcoming. I learned today. Um, and also you went to Palm Springs where you shot the stuff on the sand dunes. Do you remember going out to Palm Springs and the you blowing up the Coke machine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey is actually, there's a, there's a scene in the movie where Mickey's having trouble hearing. And I'm tuning, tuning in my hearing aid. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I do remember that because it was nearby. Um, what do you think they meant by blowing up the Coke machine? What, what were you, what were you uh, trying to do there? I wasn't trying to, to do anything. That was right. part of the script. <laughs> and, you know, Bob said, you're going to blow up a Coke machine. <laughs> but some of this, if not a lot, came out of these uh, discussions that Nez referred to in Ojai. Um, and I don't recall them word for word, but I did take footage of us talking. I didn't get the uh, the sound, the, those now, tapes. Nez, didn't you take those the tapes, audio tapes? Those tapes, Nez locked in the trunk of his car <laughs> until they said they're going to give us some kind of credit. Because even though Jack crafted, pinned a really cool strip, uh, we we did have a lot to do with it. And it was, from what I remember, it was, what do you guys want to do? What do you don't want to do? 
what works, what doesn't, what, what's kind of cool, what's fun, what, and uh, so we absolutely had, I would say, a significant, not word for word dialogue necessarily, but we had a lot to do with the essence, the intent, the spirit of it. You know? Right. When you were on set, I, I know um, we've talked in the past about one specific incident that happened when you were shooting the movie, which as provocative as Burton, Bob, and Jack were, is kind of amusing or interesting at this point, which is that when you're in the vacuum cleaner and you see a marijuana cigarette, as it was known then, you couldn't say that. You couldn't say it's a joint or anything. No, it wasn't we couldn't say it, I remember. It was that we chose not to say it. Um, that's how I remember. Do you remember that bit? Oh, no. <laughs> do, you, do you remember well, that? Well, I remember Earth it. calling Nez. Yes. Earth calling. Just a minute. I'm talking to Mickey for crying out loud. It's hard I remember enough. there was a debate about whether or not we acknowledge, because you've got to remember this is 68, still a felony. <laughs> um, What's a felony? What? What was a felony? To talk or smoke, uh, buy or sell marijuana. Get out. Yeah. It's okay, Naz. Well, it's okay. I, I, I stayed okay. one step ahead the whole way. <laughs> no, it was still an issue uh, at the time. And um, I do remember, just from my point of view, I remember there was an issue do we acknowledge what it was by name, or do we just blow past it? Or it was it yeah, was a debate. Was, it was a big debate. It was uh, a debate. Did it come out like it came out in the film? Or? Yeah, yeah. We decided. You call it an El Zumo. It was your line. It was oh, look an El Zumo. Yeah. El Zumo. Yeah, you call you called it an El Zumo. I wrote to El Zumo. <laughs> The Academy would like to acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nez, I'm going to leave this to you. Uh, we saw in the movie a brief minute of silence with a head on the screen, and many of you have seen movie posters and That's advertisements Brockman, with a guy named John Brockman. Can you explain who John Brockman is? Well, first and foremost, he is my literary agent for this book. You may have seen it earlier in this program. What's it called? Infinite Tuesday. <laughs> so, so where are we? So we're talking about John Brockman. Who is John Brockman? This mysterious man who somehow had his head plastered over posters instead of yours. John, John Brockman was the heartbeat of New York intellectualism in 1963. And he became an agent for nonfiction books and created a stable of some of the finest minds in the whole intellectual community back in the East Coast and from the academic community back there. Right. Until he became what uh, most authors, hopeful authors, think of as a, the... Uh, the great literary agent, or as some people like to refer to him as the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> and do, do you have any sense of how he bamboozled Burton Bob into having his face 
as the face of this movie rather than your faces. Well, I know, well, I, <laughs> I know, I know uh, that he suggested it. Yeah. That he uh, that he had it, and I. But I, I I never have any idea how he got it smoked past Bert and Bob. I think they bought it. Well, what I heard it, was yeah. that he had come up with a publicity promotional campaign, and <clears throat> since the movie was called Head, somebody said, "Whose head is it going to be?" And he had a great looking head, and that was <laughs> what somebody had said, you know, let's go for this very obscure, very New York, uh, uh, Andy Warholian. Right. Who was, by the way, a real big fan. Andy. And, and at oh, the premiere. Did I had... drop that name? Oh, sorry. Andy Warhol was a big fan, told me to my face. He, he loved it. And they were going for a very esoteric East Coast. Remember the big party and uh, at that big fan thing where they were having live sex acts on on the floor? I don't remember that part. That was at the premiere of Head in New York in November of 1960. I, re I, I remember and, being dressed up like a Christmas tree, <laughs> but I don't remember sex on the floor. And very cleverly for this premiere of the the movie in, in New York, they'd rented this big, and they had. Every reel of the film on separate moviolas, probably most people here don't remember what a moviola was, but it was an old school editing facility, uh, physical editing. It was like watching the movie on your phone now, but like a million of them on a big machine. Yeah. And they had all the four or five reels running simultaneously because the uh, intent is Bob and Bert told me, was that the movie does not have a beginning or an end. It is circular. You can watch it from almost any point in the movie, and you come around to that back, you come around to that same spot. Circle sky. And, circle sky. And you've seen the movie. And it doesn't matter sort of where you start. So they had this big party in New York, and all the reels of the film were running simultaneously on different moviolas. So you could just stop and start and, and watch anything. So the idea in retrospect was that they wanted to create this sort of performance art right. idea with showing this movie and, 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 and hitting this uh, underlying esoteric, you know, elegant, you know, uh, art, artsy fartsy. Andy Warhol was there, and and all these other people. And I'm a lot of scene makers were there. At I'm the sorry. New, a lot of scene makers were there yeah, at the New York premiere a lot. in November of '68. And, and that was their idea to create this kind of a, I guess, a, a performance event. And Bob told me to my face. I said when I asked him, "Why did you call the movie Head?" And he said, because when we make our next movie, it's going to be able to save from the producers that gave you head. True story. So now, I swear, that's what he said. 50, 50 years on, as you have just been here in Los Angeles, you sold out the Troubadour. You also did uh, for the first national band. And you were also here with 
Mickey, and you guys are still not only singing, but you're all speaking to, you're speaking to one another still. So that's great. So 50 years on from Head, it did not destroy your careers. And what, what's next in the world besides Head book? 2. Well, you know, both Mick and I are on the back end of this thing, the tail end of the, of the monkey's part of our life. And we shared that, like, just like we shared the monkey's part of it. And we've, we became friends and have remained friends, at least from my side of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I kid. <clears throat> and uh, so when we talk, we talk about cont continuity. Right. What do we do next? What fits into the life pattern that is falling out of the sky <laughs> on us? And, and, and I don't guess we know really, but it, it involves music, it involves working together. You know, not to get too strange here, but I really love work, working with Mick. And I always have since the first time we got together. And now when we go out on stage and we play, play together and sing songs together, so it's a thrill for me. So I'm looking forward to some more dates. We've been talking about it. Right. And, uh, thank you. Well, we may be coming to I your can, town. I can be a little more specific. Uh, uh, we, are, we had four dates that we had to postpone recently uh, back east. Those, those will be picked up in March. Uh, and then we have how many more? Eight? Eight more dates in, in the Northeast and Midwest. That are getting pretty well locked in. Right? Yeah. And it is something to say that we were out all three of us together on a, on a road show in June, the Monkeys Present, the Mike and Mickey show, and Michael was not feeling great, but today he is feeling much, much better, and we're all very grateful for that. So I guess uh, watch the skies, because we may be coming to your town. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the 50th anniversary of HEAD. Father.
Years have passed And so have I Making it hard for me to cry And if and when I have a son Let it all be said and done Let the sadness pass him by Head is an extraordinary adventure. It's a western. No, it's not. It's a comedy. Wrong. It's a love story. A mystery. I tell you, it's a drama. A musical. Well, I think it's a documentary. Don't be silly. It's a satire. There's so much to do in the sun. Columbia Pictures presents Mickey, Peter, Mike, and Davey. The monkeys. In Head. In Technicolor. This picture has been rated G. So there you go. You were there. What are your thoughts after having witnessed this, Tim? There are a number of thoughts about that. I mean, I've heard Mickey interviewed about Head probably a hundred times, and he's got stock answers for every question you can possibly mm-hmm. throw at him. But I think he, because I was so close, I could genuinely see his surprise in a couple of things. One was the overwhelmingly enthusiastic response that uh, that this theater literally full of people. I mean, it was completely sold out all the way up to the balcony, mm-hmm. and every seat was full. Uh, just how much they embraced this movie and applauded at at certain times, and you know, I, I was speaking with uh, with uh, one of the Zilch listeners, uh, Catherine Horan, who had never seen Head on the big screen before, and she remarked that what an interesting. Uh, community event it is because it's all the things that we've noticed or have read about uh, and seen in our own personal viewing in our own living room uh, through various home media but never in a in a group of people so when Dennis Hopper shows up on screen people applaud when Jack Nicholson makes his cameo people applaud Um, you know people react to certain things uh, in in certain ways and it's always interesting to see in a community and and get that that vibe and the thunderous applause at the end of the movie I think really took the guys by surprise mm-hmm. F- further I think having uh, Nesmith there and his own uh, his own bemusement <laughs> at how how uh, you know how people receive this thing that that he kind of he thought on one hand was a great piece of art and on the other was kind of a goof um, you know, I, I think, I think that put Mickey on his heels a little bit and, and, and threw off his stock answers and, and gave it a little bit of a, um, an improvisational kind of off the cuff kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see those guys, first of all, just happy to see each other, happy to see the fans and happy that something that they did that frankly has been maligned for 50 years, getting, uh, appropriately loved by a large group of people literally across the street from where it premiered and was booed off the screen. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. And as you mentioned, you you do get to hear Mickey Dolan's greatest hits, and I'm not talking anything with a musical note, but Mickey's stock answer. And, you know, sometimes fans will get upset, whether it's uh, you know a rock star that you've loved for 50 years or whatever, 
or a TV star, movie star, whatever. But they they have their stock answers because those stock answers work, right? Yeah, that's showbiz, folks. The, it it really is showbiz, and you know it, it's it. Some of us have been through multiple job interviews, and you have stock answers mm-hmm. for those job interviews. Right. You can't give, and furthermore, the facts don't change. You know, it's it, it's a fact that Nez put his fist through a wall at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and there's there's only so many ways you can tell that story right. from your own personal perspective, and you know when you are asked questions about something that really took up three years of your life 50 years ago where countless books have been uh have been written about it there's a podcast that's lasted five years by the way happy anniversary ken Mm -hmm. happy birthday to zilch we are in our sixth season now so here we are good heavens amazing folks it really is. Um, you know, the the fact that, that those three years of your life have been dissected so many times, there's only so many ways you can look at things uh, freshly. There have been a few interviews in the last couple of years where Mickey's laughed and said, you know, I've never been asked that question, and he's <laughs> genuinely impressed. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I've never, well, not fortunately, but I've never had the opportunity to ask questions like that. But, uh, I mean, you have. You made Nesmith laugh. Yeah, that was fun. And uh, I think I shocked Mickey because I didn't ask the same standard questions. But I'll tell you what, they, they do these uh, this, this show business lingo or banter because if you're stuck doing Good Afternoon Poughkeepsie and you've got a show to promote, you know what works. And, and these lines kill every time that a non-monkey fan hears these things for the first time. They bust a gut. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, uh, you know, you love the guys for, for who they are and what they do. And, and this is, this is part of it. I mean, yep. uh, I've learned a lot just about, about showbiz, just from the, from following the monkey's career Absolutely. from, from one arc to the other. It's, it's insane. So once again, we thank the American Cinematheque for that and the great Andrew Sandoval, who is really, I'm going to say the number one monkeys fan. I mean, he's really been able to do something amazing with this property, with this band, with this TV show, uh, the the whole phenomenon. And we owe so much to Andrew Sandoval, and I just want to thank him uh, from from the bottom of our hearts, as especially as we're celebrating the fifth year of Zilch. Special thanks to to John Hughes and everybody over Rhino and Warner. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for everybody who's ever been a guest star on the show and Val Carries. And we could just go on and on and on, but I can't remember everybody's names, but all the band members, all the people have been part of the Monkeys story. Thank you. And we are glad to be part of your Monkeys story as well. Uh, we have some important things that we have to talk about. One of them is uh, Zilch Nation Down Under. Are you ready for the Mike and Mickey show? Because you're 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 really in for a treat. This is a great show, and we all know that Mike put out that statement at the end of the last date here in the United States. So you really need to see this tour. What do you think, Tim? I think uh, well, first of all, the monkeys are so loved in Australia that uh, that I think this is going to be a, a huge successful tour for the guys. There's there's so much love already outpouring from uh, from the folks down under, and with regard to what Nez has to say, 
he's said it before. <laughs> you know how many how many times have each guy, uh, you know, quit the the monkeys organization or left the monkeys organization one way or another, only to return. And uh, while we are sadly left with two of the four, you know, Davey said it best. It's like the mafia, man. Once you're in, you're in, mm-hmm. and and you can you can take a break, you can walk away, but. At the end of the day, you're still going to be a monkey. And if someone if someone waves a bunch of money in front of you to go, hey, stand in front of a crowd with a guitar, you'll take it. Well, we will see. Time will tell. Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolans are about to hit the road to tour New Zealand and Australia together for the first time in 50 years. This is a cannot-miss show. It's full of all their hits, plus so many deep cuts and fan favorites. Take it from us, you do not want to miss your chance to see them live. The tour kicks off on June 8th in Christchurch, New Zealand. On June 9th, they'll be in Auckland, New Zealand. June 10th, Wellington, New Zealand. Then they move up to Brisbane, Australia on June 12th, Melbourne. On June 15th, Perth. On June 16th, and the tour wraps up at the world-renowned sydney opera house in sydney australia and of course christine the button queen did not forget about you be sure to watch for zilch button ambassadors in wellington brisbane melbourne sydney and get your own special edition m&m down under button and the the big difference between these ones and the ones that we did for the american tour is that there is a map of new zealand and australia behind mike and mickey so check it out very rare once-in-a-lifetime collector's items absolutely Mm -hmm. and we want to thank everybody who's been donating to our help fund by that i mean it might mean if we need a microphone we get that but importantly more importantly uh we just recently had sarah clark's mother uh mother-in-law you helped them get back to a, a normal life and so thank you very much folks it's amazing what we've done with this monkeys fan club and how those buttons have went around the world, and they're now part of Monkey's Collectors. But more importantly, they're part of the collection in your soul and in your heart and in your smile. It's, it's a great way to meet fans, and it's a great way to help one another out. It's just fantastic. As a matter of fact, at the show, didn't you sit down on a pin that was upside down, a head button? <laughs> I, I don't think I did, but I think uh, I think uh, maybe Andrew did because oh, I had put... I had put those uh, those buttons on the guys' uh, chairs before they had come out to speak. The buttons, by the way, went in seconds. Um, I had hundreds of buttons, and and they were given out uh, quickly mm. um, from from the front of the theater, yeah. and uh, they were in, they were incredibly popular. Uh, I know I know Mike and Mickey and Andrew and John Hughes all got buttons as well as uh, uh, a good couple hundred listeners who were at the event yeah thanks very much for being so courteous and waiting while i handed them out and a lot of people were surprised by those because they looked exactly like the head album cover with a mylar finish look kind of a thing and uh it had zilch there and it was a nice little commemorative button yeah, it's a it's a nice little souvenir of of that event. In fact, if you have your picture of yourself with your head button and maybe your new head soundtrack Post that on the on the on the Zilch Facebook page. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see it. And Mike Nesmith has a box set entitled Songs. It is a twelve CD collection that brings together Michael Nesmith's works from both RCA and the Pacific Arts. And it's it's out. And I have in my hands 
an autographed copy from Michael Nesmith himself. And it really is nice. Uh, I really encourage you, if you want to check it out, you can get it from Video Ranch and get it signed. And it's uh, it's a really nice bit of uh, Michael Nesmith music. If, if you've never bought a Michael Nesmith CD, maybe this is the best place to jump in, right? Well, you know, Nez has been giving a lot of love and care to his uh, his solo efforts recently. Um, you know, not the least of which, given the attention that it's gotten from his recent tours, and uh, and I, you know, have owned those albums in various media mm-hmm. over the years, and to a turn, every single one of them on the twelve disc set is worth at least a spin, and some of them are worth heavy rotation, no question about it. It's a, it's a great collection of uh, of music, and I encourage you to pick it up. And of course, for those of you who only buy your music digital, on June of 2018, Michael Nesmith's 1970 RCA albums were also issued digitally with previously unheard bonus tracks, but Mike can't sign those as easily. <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. His signature's been whited out on all of those. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some other... <laughs> That's the best I can do. <laughs> It's sorry. It's it's early. Yeah. Sorry, Zilch. I'm, I'm, Usually I'm funny. I'm still waiting for Mike to sign my Kindle version of Infinite Tuesday. <laughs> it'll make every other book uneligible, so it'll be wonderful. There's whispers and rumors of a tour coming out celebrating the Beatles' White Album with Joey Mulholland of Badfinger, with Todd yeah. Rundgren, yeah. Christopher Cross... All backed by the members of Rain, a fantastic Beatles tribute band, but of interest to Zilch listeners with Mickey Dolenz, the voice of the monkeys. These legends will be performing their hits in the first half of the show and then will collaborate to perform the Beatles' White Album, backed by the members of Rain. There are a handful of cities. This tour is not officially announced, but we've heard uh, whispers and rumors and read about it. Uh, it's supposed to start between September 7th and October 20th, so dates are being uh, bought. So this is this looks like yeah. it's going to be a fun tour. It, I mean, first of all, the White Album is, is a fantastic thing to hear start to finish, um, but this band that they have uh, lined up, first of all, Rain is fantastic, mm-hmm. and the talent that they have outside of that are all monkeys peripheral, Um you know, a bad finger, of course, for had a rumor that they they were the Beatles in under a different name. Uh, Todd Rundgren's covered the Beatles a, a zillion times. Um, if you've ever heard the Utopia album to face the music, it's supposed to be like a long lost Beatles album. And Todd's toured with Ringo a, a few times. And then uh, and then that other guy from that TV show also has some some monkeys pedigree in there as well. Now, I'll tell you, I would pay good money if all Mickey did was walk out on stage and go, number nine, number nine, <laughs> number nine, number nine, and and walk out, and that would be that. I think that would be fantastic. Based on what I saw about this tour, Ken, if you live east of the Mississippi River, you're going to be very happy with the tour dates. Mm-hmm. So be on the lookout for that. And, of course, Mickey is also playing with the Fab Four down in Texas, so that's fantastic. That's uh, definitely something uh, that you're going to want to check out if you can. I don't want to say too much about it, but I'm just going to put this into your head, folks. Mickey Dolan's 
and Mr. Rogers. We'll be talking about that in a future episode. And of course, there are rumors that something is coming. Davy Jones, something that you can drink. And that's one thing. And then another thing from 7A, which may have something to do with something that you do with your ears and your eyes. And that's all I'm going to say until they're ready to release it. But it's pretty cool. Man, if that's not a... If that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. That's great. Always something going on in the world of the monkeys. Who would have thought, wow, over 50 years and here we are, right? Yeah, it, it's amazing how well this has held up. I mean, we, we just recently have seen uh, the, the episodes on television. You know, the tours are, are going strong. I predict Australia will be huge. Um, you know, who'd have thought that 50 years later we'd have a, a number one record and, and here we are. There's no reason to believe that this train will stop because, well, frankly, we're fans and we'll buy darn near anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about May being our birthday month, right? Not only is it the birthday of Zilch, which is May 16th, uh, but it's also my birthday, May 25th. That's right. And uh, a lovely package arrived today. And really? it, uh, it took me by surprise. It's from Debbie Lang. And she sent me this book entitled Herbert Marcuse, Philosopher of Utopia, a graphic biography paperback. And this is a really neat thing. And it's, it's of, of interest to monkey fans because of who helped put it together. It's written by a gentleman named Paul Buell. And Andrew Lamas and Nick Torkelson is an illustrator. Wow. And uh, anybody who doesn't know who Nick Torkelson is has not been paying attention in class, right? Uh, (laughs) It says here that Nick Torkelson is a cartoonist living in Boston. He's done cartoons on local politics for the Boston Globe and in support of organizations working on economic justice, peace, and public health. He is the co-author and or illustrator of The Earth Belongs to the People, The Underhanded History of the USA, The Legal Rights of Union Stewarts, and a comic strip of neoliberalism and economic meltdown funnies. Sounds as fun as you might think it would be. (laughs) <laughs> and and it has contributed to a number of nonfiction comics anthology. He is working on a graphic novel about the end of the 60s entitled A Better World is Possible. Nick also moonlights as a musician, animator, graphic designer, and painter. I would like to thank Debbie Lang for sending me this book. It is really neat. Tim, you know I love comics and you know I love graphic novels. And this is a really interesting book. And Angela Y. Davis did the foreword. If you want to check it out, it is really, really good. I'm enjoying it and uh, flipping through it right now. Can you hear the flipping? I can there hear the flipping, I'm flipping. And, uh, I'm flipping and I can hear the quality of the illustration. By all accounts, uh, Nick is a very accomplished and, uh, and very good illustrator. And so it's uh, what, a, what a lovely addition to your bookshelf and what a great thing to, to spend some time feasting your eyes on. Mm-hmm. Ah, happy birthday, old buddy. Well, thank you, and happy birthday to you, too. <laughs> Thanks. You know, people say it doesn't work that way, but, uh, you know, I think it does. Hey, they say it's your birthday. It's my birthday, too, yeah? Right? Yeah. We're going to have a good time. Cool. Looking well, for I hope that... a good time, baby. Gonna have I hope that the, uh, the, the Chuck E. Cheese right down the street from Zilch headquarters vets you properly. <laughs> No thanks. I'm uh, trying to get healthy, brother. <laughs> Losing weight and feeling great. 
Yeah, there's 100 pounds less of you than there was uh, at your last 107 birthday. as of this recording. Right on, yeah. Kenny. I posted a picture of me in a spaceman outfit, and nobody got the joke. I was weight less. Get it? Weight less? And you take up less space, man. Less feeling, and I still taste great. Well, for those of you who claim I have no taste, we want to thank you for listening to Zilch today and for fooling around <laughs> with and monkeying around with Tim and I. And we, we brought you some monkeys news. You got to hear Mike and Mickey, and we'd like to thank Andrew Sandoval once again. We will see you all on the next episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. See you next time on Zilch, folks. Say see you, Tim. See you next time on Zilch, folks. <laughs> and that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. <laughs> Don't now. Now really, everybody cool it because I won't be able to get through this. Action. Hey, wow. It's a groovy button. What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, gee, that's a nice thought. Gee, that's a neat button. What does it say? Let's go again. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. We're going to need some bloopers. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, I think we got them. (laughs) I know, but I want to give you a really good one. Okay. So I was at the Egyptian theater and, ah, f***ing shit. (laughs) You just found that button. Yeah. Wash this. Yes, your sire. I believe he did, your sire. <laughs> oh, okay, boy. <laughs> no, no, and I'm still not paying you three ninety nine a minute to have that conversation. Hot, it's not going to happen. Hot, Mister Torres. <laughs>